Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. I am so excited about our guest today. You guys have no idea. I love her and we've had so many great conversations over the past few weeks. Um, Sarah Klein is our guest. She's a widely respected attorney who exclusively represents survivors of sexual abuse. She's a former competitive gymnast, the first known victim of former Olympic women's gymnastics, Dr. Larry Nasser, and she accepted an ESPY award, the Author Ash Courage Award, um, in 2018 on behalf of herself and hundreds of other survivors who spoke out and testified about Nasser's abuse. And Sarah, I know now, is a fierce advocate for legal, cultural, political change. She's spearheading the fight to extend the statute of limitations for abuse survivors across the U.S., which I know many of you really care about. Um, and she hosts a podcast called Bar Fights, taking on issues that matter, of which I was her most recent guest. So please go check that out. After you finish listening to this episode, you hop on over there and find Bar Fight. She's got a lot of great guests and topics and is really quite a badass um, just in general. So, and she's also a girl mom. So welcome, Sarah. So glad to have you. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to be here with you. I adore you. So thank you for having me. <laughs> You're awesome. Well, Sarah, I know we have had a lot of really great deep conversations and have, um, we just have a lot in common. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, obviously the one thing that we do have in common is sexual abuse as a child. And I hate that for both of us. But at the same time, you are an advocate using your voice to help other survivors know they're not alone and to do something about it, to find justice for them. And I'm just so excited to kind of go into your life to talk about that. But I wondered if you'd be comfortable if we could just kind of start at the beginning you know, um, a lot of people know that story. A lot of survivors followed the story of Larry Nasser and all the survivors who came forward, you being the very first known survivor. And that started when you were eight. Is that right? Eight years old. And what's crazy is I have a daughter who's eight years old right now. Mm. So it's mm -hmm. really, really kind of forced me to look back at the innocence in an eight-year-old, the tiny little body. It's really, right. it's been an interesting year for sure. Yeah. I talked to a lot of survivors, you know, even in our Unleashed course about when your kid becomes the age of your abuse, how you don't expect things to sort of come up for you. Um, but in some ways it can be healing. So as, as triggering as it might be, it can also be healing to, to, parent your child the way that you wished that little you had been parented, cared for, um, validated. Do you find that to be true? A hundred percent. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like, I, I look back and I'm like, okay, the nineties, the eighties and the nineties were a different era. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then again, it's just basic human stuff that wasn't happening back in that gym, back in, you know, mm -hmm. those days that now I'm able to sort of give to my daughter and, and make sure she has that security and is heard and listened to. Um, but it really, it really does put a lot in perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it's been, it's been really interesting that juxtaposition of what she, what little Sarah wasn't getting and what my little girl is getting, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and there was so much silencing. I mean, no one talked about this stuff when we were younger. You and I are the same age. And I just think about that a lot. Like there's a lot more awareness, education now, thankfully. And you and I are both a part of that. Um, but back when we were young, there was nobody, you know, coming on talking about their story. It was a lot of shame um, to talk about something like sexual abuse. And then you had these abusers who were so good at grooming and reading a little bit of your story. Um, I know that was the case. I mean, you, I wrote, or I read a note that you wrote to your younger self, your little eight-year-old self about, you know, how you kind of persevered and took back your story. And part of it, I wanted to highlight because it really stuck out to me. Um, when it comes to the grooming process, you said, Larry will begin medically treating you and many of the other little girls in leotards. You will not understand that Larry's treatment is not a legal medical procedure, but is in fact the sexual abuse of a child. And I heard you later go on to talk about how, you know, in your mid twenties, you'd be going back home and meeting back up with him as a friend to catch up. And he would take you back into that office on that table and sexually abuse you and you didn't know and it speaks to the brainwashing does it not oh my gosh and like that's maybe the number one question I, I've gotten asked over the years is like how could you not know at 25 years old you know you, you, that's really hard to believe and I'm going well it was all I ever knew yes. it was all that ever happened in this relationship and he wasn't a scary mean you know, like it, there were no red flags of like, this is a bad person or what he's doing. Mm -hmm. There was nothing that implied that I shouldn't be trusting him. Yeah. He was kind. He was funny. He was warm. He was nurturing. He was a real safe harbor mm -hmm. in an environment that was very volatile, very aggressive. Our coach was so mean um, and so scary. And Larry was so nice. And so at 25 years old, and I always put it this way because I think it's important for people to, to picture this. I'm 25. I went to an Ivy League school. I'm smart. I'm savvy. I'm in law school. I'm a first year law student. I had worked on Wall Street at that point. I'm not some like sheltered. I lived in New York City. I wasn't some sheltered, uneducated, unsophisticated. I was as sophisticated as they come for that age. And I still didn't get it. I still didn't understand. I still would have trusted him with my everything, including mm -hmm. my body, including what I really believed was medical treatment. I really mm -hmm. believed that he had to internally digitally penetrate me to release certain tendons that were attached to this tendon in the way he explained it. I can't even repeat it because I'm not a doctor, but like, I'm going to release your ilio da, 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 that's connected to your da, 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 da. like yeah. your all medical terms. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank wow. you. Mm -hmm. And, and he um, knew our bodies mm -hmm. in a way that no other doctor did. So obviously, mm -hmm. and he was a top physician, everybody trusted him. Olympic so why wouldn't you?
Olympic at this point. He had been mm -hmm. to the Olympics. And so I'm like, he, he would be like, Sarah, because you, your rib goes this way. And so when I had sought out other medical treatments for my lower back in New York City or wherever, they never... They didn't know me the way he knew me. They didn't know the context. I felt like, well, why would I go start over with wow. this doctor? Because this one's been with me since I'm eight. Exactly. Oh, wow. Well, let me just say to you, Sarah, I believe you and our listeners believe you. And in fact, I know so many are relating to what you're saying and the boldness to share that. I mean, I just can picture chains breaking and falling to the ground for so many others who are like, why did I keep going back all those years, even into adulthood? Well, that's why you explained it so well of that mentality, the brainwashing, it takes over. And, and then it's like, you're living in this little tiny, like closet where you believe this one person, no one else knows what's going on. You don't want to tell them about it. You know, it's just all so weird and icky and you just keep going through the motions because you don't know what else to do. I really didn't believe there was anything to tell. I didn't mm -hmm. have any thought of, I'm not disclosing this. I didn't think anything happened yeah. that wasn't kosher. Um, looking yeah. back, and we can talk about this, but like once I had my own daughter <laughs> is mm -hmm. when my head popped off my body, but we'll get, we'll get there. Okay. Okay. Well, and I do... I do want to talk about that. I mean, I think well, I'm wondering, was there a certain point, at least maybe before your daughter, maybe it was when your daughter was born, but where it was like a light bulb went on and you realized it was sexual abuse or was that not until people started talking? There, there, I've answered this question differently because through the therapeutic process, mm -hmm. looking back, I've had some aha moments. So at okay. first, at first, I really would have answered that question that it took someone else coming forward to for me to understand mm -hmm. that. But looking back, there was a moment in 2012. So in 2012, mm -hmm. this group of my teammates goes to the Olympic trials in California because mm -hmm. my coach, John Getter, was going to get his first girl to the Olympics, which was Jordan Weber. Um, and, okay. and, and John was the horrible coach that was so abusive. Yeah. yeah. So when it was like bad cop, good cop with Larry as the good cop, John was the bad one. Yes. A hundred percent. But in some weird way, he was still our God and sure. oh, absolutely. Love and affirmation from him was yeah. the, was intoxicating. And so this group of my teammates were like, we're going to go see our coach, get this girl to the Olympics. And we, in some way, maybe felt a part of that because we had grown up with him and we felt like, okay, finally, you know, this is going to be really pivotal. So we get there um, and we're sitting in the stands and my teammate sees Larry down on the floor um, with the girls. And she goes, they're still let, Oh, look, there's Larry. They're still letting Larry around kid around kids. Oh, and wow. I go, what do you mean? And she <sighs> said something like they're, he's, they're still letting pervy Larry around kids. And I was like, I kind of laughed it off. We didn't really talk about it much more than that, but uh -huh. I did at that moment be like, Oh, mm. yeah. 
you know, yeah. I didn't say anything. I didn't put two and two together, but I mm-hmm. did have that thought of like, yeah. Ooh. And you sort of like tucked it away, tucked it away until this all came tumbling out um, with the girls, first girls coming forward. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. How, yeah, it's like, oh, actually that makes sense, but I'm not ready to face that. 100%. Yeah. I'm not ready to think about it. Yeah. So, um, so then when your daughter was born, let's talk about it. Yeah. So my daughter was born and she was two years old when I received a text message from that same teammate who made that comment. Um, and it was the article, um, about the three girls coming forward and, and, uh, my teammate, Jamie Dancher, uh, filing that first civil lawsuit mm-hmm. and, I, she was a Jane Doe at the time, but reading the complaint, we were able to kind of piece together who it was. And she sent that to me and I open it on my phone and I didn't even have to read it. It was just the headline for USA gymnastics doctor, Larry Nassar accused of sexual abuse. I Mm -hmm. didn't even, I don't even, didn't even have to read the details. And my psyche was like, yep. That's what that was. Yep. And I knew in an instant I had other teammates who wow. reacted like, no way. He could never. The psyche does different things, right? Yeah. Some girls yeah. fought it for a long time of not my Larry, no way. My uh-huh. psyche was like, duh, because I thought about the exams he was doing. And I thought about my little girls, but not even the exams, the treatment he was doing. And I thought to myself, if anybody ever touched my daughter, the way he touched me, I would kill them. And that Mm -hmm. is cannot have been medical. That cannot have been normal, but it took me externalizing it from myself into my daughter to be like, nobody could ever do that to her with mm-hmm. me. It was like, well, it wasn't that bad. It was okay. I'm okay. You know, I, right. you know, you know, but when yeah. it was like putting it in terms of her, mm-hmm. I'm like, that was, that was not normal. That was not okay. Why was I at his apartment alone when I was 12 mm-hmm. and he was 28? Why was I in a back room alone with him all the time being touched? I was naked in his apartment when I was 12 in his bathtub with him coming in and bringing me magazines. That's not okay. But I oh, never wow. thought that that wasn't okay until I thought about my daughter in the same shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, gosh, I'm so grateful for all of this, like epiphany coming. And, you know, at the time that your daughter, for you to be able to parent her in a new way, and just really be a voice for her and change in the world. It's amazing. I want to go back to what you were saying, just too about like, how much access he had to you. And I'm just thinking about how just the institutions, you know, in our world, just enable these guys, you know, you talk about sports and, you know, parents and other coaches and all the people in the sports world, when there's a person with a platform and somehow they believe they're the best of the best, it's like kids can just be handed to them and there's no checks or balances. No one's looking for red flags because, well, this guy knows what he's doing and he's got a name. You know what I mean? And you see this even in like churches, religious institutions, even law enforcement, you know, who protect abusers, allowing them to prey on kids. 
it's widespread, you know, and sadly, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It is no longer a shock to me when a news story comes out, but it's an expectation. No, it's no longer a shock to me at all. No. Mm -hmm. And and these predators are always going to find the, the clearest path to access to children. And Mm -hmm. There's a reason that they aren't the scary guy wearing a black cape in an alley 98% of the time. There's a reason that they are the charismatic, kind pillar of the community on the school board. That's part of it. Yeah. That's part of it is being that good guy, that safe guy, that Mm -hmm. kind, trustworthy guy. That's the profile of the greatest perpetrators because we do exactly what you just said, blindly hand our children to the most popular teacher in the school, the Olympic doctor, Mm -hmm. the pediatrician who wears Mickey Mouse ties. The youth pastor. Yeah, exactly. Pastor, Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is always, I won't say that it's not a shock to me when I hear it. It's still oftentimes a little triggering. I think it causes many survivors to sort of relive their trauma. Once again, when they hear these news stories come up, it's just that it's happening so often. And it's again, what you said, it's the ones that we've for a long time stereotyped are not the actual abusers. They're the ones you least expect. And that's why we have to put our guards up as parents, as people in the lives of children. We have to be on watch. Well, and it's funny to me, you know, I'm going through stuff. My eight-year-old starting to ask about having sleepovers and, mm-hmm. you know, she becomes becoming more independent and social and all this stuff. And so I talk to parents, you know, at our school and whatever, and they say, um, I'm so overprotective, Sarah. I love the work you do. You know, mm-hmm. I'm protecting my kid, um, yeah. but I'm going to pick her up from a sleepover right now, you know? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Whoa, you know, whoa, that, that those things don't go together. You know, I think as parents, we rationalize, like, I think I'm doing all the right things. And, and it's like, oh, no, it's okay. There are really good friends. Well, <laughs> I'm with you. You know what I mean? And like, I my, do. My rule is I love you. You're my really good friends. My kids never spending the night at your house. It's <laughs> mine as well. That is mine as well. Yeah. And it's easier just to make it very black and white. There's no gray. It's just how it is. Yeah. There's no gray, but I think even parents with the best, the best intentions are willing to bend the rules or convince themselves that this, this family is really safe. You know, this, these, it's fine. It's just this one time or whatever. I think it's easier psychologically to go along with. Yeah you know, what's most comfortable um, yeah. than it is to say, sorry, mm-hmm. love you, but my kid's not spending the night, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And truly, and you know, I, I hate to scare people, but truly, I mean, you and I talk to hundreds of thousands of survivors at this point, probably. And yeah. so many of sexual abuse cases are sleepovers with people that we thought we could trust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am thinking a lot about um, when you 
came forward. I had read, and maybe this is true or not true, but when you publicly came forward at the ESPYs to accept that Arthur Ashe Award for Courage, I had read that was the very first time you came forward publicly. Is that right? That is right. So you, you never had really talked about it until you received that award in 2018. I hadn't talked about it publicly. So I was wow. the um, the sentencing hearing where we were able, thankfully, to deliver victim impact statements. And what people don't always realize about that is that um, a small group of people volunteered to give the victim impact statements. It was open to everybody, but a lot of people said, mm, I don't think so. So I think at the beginning, it was only about like 30 of us that had signed up to, and they thought it it would be like a day or two. Um, and what happened was um, it started on a Tuesday. I was the very last person to go on that first day. And mm -hmm. I did not want cameras in my face in the most intimate moment of my life. Um, you yeah. get this chance to speak to this. I wanted my message to be heard, but I did not want, um, I did not want that for myself. Um, I was a professional. I was a mother of, of mm -hmm. a daughter. I just didn't, I wasn't ready for that. Um, and so I let my voice be recorded. I was victim 125. You can listen to it. It's on the internet, whatever. Um, and then I wasn't really sure, but my point in all that was by the night after the first day where people are seeing this on the news, more survivors called up the the um, prosecutor and said, I want to go too. And so what started as like 30 girls ended up being what, 156 victim impact statements. It wow. ran all week. By the end of that week, the Olympians who didn't want to put their faces or names on it were mm -hmm. showing up and flying in from everywhere. So it became this really beautiful momentum of women standing on the shoulders of other women. It really was. And saying, if she can do it, I can do it too. And if she yeah. got that moment of closure, I want to take that too. So it mm -hmm. ended up going into the next week. Amazing. Um, and it was really interesting. But I really struggled with with coming forward publicly. I had a different career. I wasn't working in this field. I wasn't even, I hadn't wrapped my mind around the fact that this was my life. You know? Really? Yeah. Grappling with like that where the paradigm of your own life or what you thought it was just explodes. And you're like, what does this mean for me? Who am I? Right. Mm. Like, so you were practicing law. I was practicing law, but I wasn't in this field. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. That was interesting. So when I was approached by the SBs to be one of the three girls accepting the award, my mm -hmm. initial response was, Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ooh, because that's a big stage. It was a big stage. And she, the executive producer, she has since passed away, became a dear friend of mine. And she oh. kept sort of courting me saying, Sarah, the pressure of going on live television and delivering something powerful is extremely high. And there are some of you that we think can do it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you can do it. I know you can do it. And I want you to do it. Um, 
And so she courted me for a while. And then she said this, this is not about being a victim. This is an award for courage. And this will live on the internet forevermore. At some point, your story, your daughter is going to find out about your story. And wouldn't it be beautiful if when she finds out about it, the first thing to come up is my mommy won an award for courage. And I said, well, now that you put it that way, Maura, <laughs> oh, wow. no way I can say no to that. So that is that's powerful. Happened. Yeah, but it really was ripping the Band-Aid off and being thrust into the spotlight for something you never thought. Yeah, you be a part of or known for. Right, right. Yeah. And most of your life, you didn't even have a clue that this was what it was. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a really powerful statement by that woman. I, it's very emotional to hear that. And it's so true, you know, making that shift of language or the narrative of our story from that of a victim and the pain of the abuse and the brainwashing to then the courage to have survived. Yes. And I want to say to your listeners right now, I recognize my story is an anomaly given we literally received the red carpet treatment. We literally walked the red carpet at that SVU award. Nobody gets that. I want to recognize to your listeners, while you might not be getting an award for courage live on national television, your award for courage is telling a friend about what happened. Your award for courage is if reporting feels good to you, reporting your abuse or your award for courage could be, um, you know, just letting yourself absorb what happened to you and getting into therapy or doing an online support group, or even just ordering a book about, you know, so awards for courage are going to look a lot different. I recognize that my award for courage is the stuff movies are made of, but, Mm -hmm. but that's not what awards for courage are going to look like for most survivors. Mm, I appreciate you saying that. It's still, you still deserve that award for courage. It's That's still, right. it's still as important, um, and as meaningful and powerful. Well, I will say, I think there were a lot of survivors watching during that span of time, you know, the, the court, the sentencing, that amazing judge who gave all of the survivors time and a voice to be heard. Um, there were so many survivors listening. So in a sense, Sarah, when you took that award, you took it for all of us. I think a lot of us saw ourselves in you and in the other survivors who walked that red carpet. So I would say that for all of us, you know, it felt as if we were there too, because mm-hmm. that's that's how meaningful your voices felt um, during that hard season. And it felt worth it. You know, it felt like, wow that was worth it for them. And it's worth it for me, you know, watching you guys. So thank you for accepting that award on behalf of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, I think, you know, your humility and even sharing that and 
is really meaningful um, because also you're just so real and authentic, even talking about, you know, it doesn't just get easier just because you walk the red carpet and accept an award for courage doesn't mean, oh, great. Healing's over. Let's move on with our lives. Now I can be an advocate and a voice and I have no shame. I have no fears. You know, it's not like that. And you, I know in just our conversations in the past, you've been very upfront and honest about there's effects of sexual abuse that last the rest of our lives. And um, even if you'd be willing to share, you know, there's, there was a season where you, you shared with me that you couldn't even leave the house. Yeah. There were about seven years <laughs> where I couldn't even leave the house. Now that was before I knew what was what was going on. But at, mm. you know, after I see Larry for the last time at 25 years old, the only reason I saw him at, I didn't keep treating with him is because my parents moved away out of the town where he was. And so okay. I didn't treat with him again after 25, I, I saw him again. Um, but I wasn't medically treated by him or sorry, I take that back medically treated, i.e. sexually abused by him um, until yes. I was, um, so 25 was the last time I then okay. went my life and tried so hard to do what I always had done, which is hyper-achieve, 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 <laughs> foot on the gas. Um, if I can just do this, I got my law degree, I got my MBA, I got mm. these jobs, I got all this stuff, but my mm -hmm. life was in a steady decline. I started mm -hmm. withdrawing, withdrawing, withdrawing. Um, we talked earlier, I started having medical problems. My body started manifesting things um, in, in ways that were related to sexual trauma, but I hadn't identified it like endometriosis, um, autoimmune diseases. Um, and that got it got so bad that for about a period of seven years I got so much anxiety just going to the grocery store um I would go to work to do the sort of bare minimum come mm -hmm. home and shut myself in the rest of the night the weekends on a Friday night to a Monday morning wouldn't leave my house mm -hmm. um and everybody around me saw this and mm -hmm. said what's going on yes yeah. You have everything. I was in therapy. I hadn't disclosed anything to my therapist because I didn't think there was anything to disclose. Right. So my body and my psyche were ringing the alarm bells, but I could not make the connection of why. Um, wow. and so, and so that was really, really, a really, really tough time. Um, and, um, I think, the mind body connection, the psyche, we were talking a little bit about this before the show, yeah. um, about how child sexual trauma or any sexual trauma is stored, um, in the body and the psyche. And I was such a perfect sort of classic textbook example of that. Yeah. That whole book title, the body keeps the score is so real in the ways that we don't even really know about. We're just like, well, this is annoying. This thing that I have going on. This is annoying. You don't make those connections or even just, yeah, the fears, the agoraphobia, whatever it is, feeling like, well, this is just some weird thing I'm battling. <laughs> like yeah. without making the connection, it almost seems like there's no healing, but making yeah. in making the connection, you're saying that's where the healing began. 
That's where the healing began. So yeah, there were times in those seven years I had suicidal thoughts. I really felt like I was just not meant for this world. I felt like mm. I can't do life in the most basic ways. Something is wrong and I don't know what it is. And I'm going to therapy and I'm, you know, take, you know, sleeping enough and taking, you know, eating. I, I can't get past whatever this thing is. But when I was able to identify finally, Mm -hmm. I was I was sexually abused for 17 years of my life it was like oh yeah oh okay got it and after identifying that it wasn't a magical healing journey it was it got way worse (laughs) yeah before it started to get better yes way worse mm-hmm. um, and I was in the public eye during that time so it got way worse before I was able to start taking making those connections you know sort of really taking a look at what happened how it happened why it happened and then starting to make those um those steps towards healing mm-hmm. but I'll say mm-hmm. and I always say this to your listeners like I'm not I have not arrived wherever yeah. you're Wherever he, the magical healing heaven is, I'm not there, um, yes. you know, and we can talk about what that journey looks like because it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not linear and it's, it's something that takes real dedication, practice, showing up, nurturing, mm-hmm. um, and I'll share, and I haven't shared this, but even two weeks ago or so, I had a big step backwards. And the reason was, is I saw on Facebook, it's always social media. It is always, yes. Always. So I saw on Facebook, a fundraiser for my coach, what we didn't say yet, which I'm sure some of your listeners know, my coach that we talked about took his own life on the day that he was indicted for 24 counts of child abuse, because he had been abusing kids this whole time. Um, and physically, emotionally, and it turns out sexually also. And so he was indicted a few years ago in February. And it was a big sigh of relief for so many of us um, that finally he was going to be held accountable. Well, he commits suicide the same day. And that was that. I see on Facebook a fundraiser for a suicide walk, you know, suicide awareness walk in his honor. Um, And I saw a bunch of my old teammates and coaches Mm -hmm. donating money to that. Um, That's hard. That's really hard. Is still, I'm like, how could you know he was indicted for abusing kids? I don't can suicide. And I, and I, I, I love a suicide awareness fundraiser, but not in the name of someone who abused kids and was indicted by the attorney general. Right. I, I, I didn't love that. And so no. No. It, that was a big trigger for me. And to see sure. the other adults that were supposed to be protecting me, mm-hmm. donating money to that, mm-hmm. that was a big trigger. So that I struggled. Is. I really yeah. struggled. You know? well, I, I appreciate you being so forthcoming and honest about that that's a really hard thing to walk through and so recently um and it speaks to what you just shared healing is a lifelong journey and it doesn't always just get better when you start telling or once you start going to therapy or 
you know, whatever you've done, it doesn't, there's no prescription to when that ends. And being a survivor of trauma is being willing to say, I know there's going to be things that come up in my life and it's going to bring me right back. And do I have the tools to survive this one? Do I have the circle around me and the support to be able to get through when it comes up again? And, you know, the fact that you're still here tells me you do. The fact you're willing to talk about it says that you do. And that's what matters. Yeah. So what would you say are your favorite tools? Yeah. Yeah. What, what helped you kind of get through that? Cause that's a big, that's a big one. Yeah, it was a big one. So my therapist, I love, um, I have, I have done all different modalities. Um, I've done the EMDR I've done, mm-hmm. um, you know, different things. Um, but just having what you just said, that support system, that community, yeah even just our connection, right? We didn't know each other a month or two ago. Um, right. We talked to somebody and I'm like, I feel like I'm talking to my sister. I don't have yeah. a sister, but we're strangers, <laughs> but you get me, you see me, you, you understand in a way that some of the people closest to me don't and will never, right? That's right, um, that's right. So I think for your listeners community, um, you know, surrounding yourself with people that get it and get you. Um, and then, um, what else to, to help me? Um, I'm a big journaler. I'm a big, yeah. you know, why did this bother me? What was yeah. the deal externalizing it? Because, you know, part of me in some way, um, takes things on and thinks this, maybe he killed himself. It was my fault because I spoke out against him and, you know, that's my trigger right there. Yep. Because you know, my story and, you know, after I told my abuser also took his life. And I think that has also been a, a sort of thread that just continues to weave itself through my life of, you know, if I speak up about something I don't want, or I'm comfortable about, or if I set a boundary with someone, they're going to disappear. That's it for me. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of times life proves that to be true, but I have to always remind myself as I hope you do as well, that it was their abuse that took them, you know, it's their, their pain. It's, that was them that chose to hurt us in the first place. Right. And to remind ourselves that we didn't cause that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. A hundred percent. So yeah. And I'm also still trying to figure out, you know, what are those Mm -hmm. tools, right? I'm still, it's learning. It's like yoga. They say you just show up, you get on that mat, you never arrive. Um, But in the process of getting on that mat where, you know, shifts occur, where insights come. Um, And so I always think about healing like that. Like you just show up, get on that mat and it's going to, you're, you know, it's going to be just a process of, of showing up and Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. community, 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 not trying to navigate this alone. Okay, I just wanted to pause a moment to tell you about this community called Unleash that we keep referring to. If it sounds like a secret club, that's because it is. 
But if you're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse or sexual abuse or sexual trauma of any kind, you are personally invited. Unleash is an eight-week e-course. It features film, storytelling, personal contemplation exercises, and my favorite part, a safe online space where we meet virtually in small support group settings led by myself and other trauma experts where we openly discuss this lifelong journey of healing from sexual abuse. It's kind of like a book club, but like a really precious one, (laughs) a place where questions are welcome and your story, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, is safe. Maybe you've experienced some healing, but you long to be unleashed. I hope you'll consider joining us. Each group is limited to eight survivors, so head over to our registration page now and grab a seat. The website is imonevoice.org slash unleash. And by the way, if you aren't interested in the support group part, but you want to just work through the videos and the ebook content at your own pace, we have that option too. It's right there on the website as well. This road of healing can feel pretty long, but we don't have to walk it alone. That's why we're here. And I hope you'll join us at one of our upcoming groups. More info at imonevoice.org slash unleash. I like to what I'm kind of hearing from you about making connections. I feel like you and I both do that, like making a connection from the now, the feelings that I'm having, what are they connected to and how does that connect to the past? And when you were talking about journaling, um, it was kind of bringing that up for me. I think journaling is a really healthy way of making those connections. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and also with reactions, like I asked myself, am I reacting as little Sarah or am I reacting as adult grown empowered Sarah? And I think I have very lived very much of my adult life as little Sarah, um, and trying to shift into that. And it sounds crazy at 44 years old, like, right. Like still not too crazy over here. I'm like with that, you. <laughs> yeah, like that frozen little child, Sarah, yeah. who's living based in fear, living yeah. based in insecurity, and mm-hmm. right, like, um, you know, not emotionally regulated, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think sometimes when you experience childhood trauma, you just freeze, and then yeah. here you are, how many years later? And you're, and you're still showing up in the world as that frozen little <laughs> child um, yeah. and learning to really kind of take a breath and mm-hmm. ask yourself, who are you? Remind yourself that you're safe now. Mm-hmm. That's been a big shift for me. You're safe. No one can hurt you. You're okay. Um, that's been a big one for me. Um, even just writing out like the I am statements, you know, I am safe. I am loved. I am okay. Yeah. I am, you know, never going to be hurt by that person again. That's yeah. a big one that I use when I'm in those like little frozen moments. Yeah. Those little moments. I agree. I, I, I really resonate with that and I've kind of gone through the same thing in my personal healing and therapy recently of like it sounds so silly to have to say something that's even down to the details of like my house feels safe to me it is my home 
you know, my partner is safe. My kids know that I'm a good mom. Like it's all these little tiny things of like reminders. If you say it out loud, if you write it down, it does sort of take the edge off and allows you to breathe a little bit deeper, a little freer, because it's like talking back to that little part of you that isn't sure. Yeah. Because that little part's like, no, this right now that's going on, it feels a lot like what happened 20 years ago. Sure yeah. does remind me of that. And that's what's firing in you. Um, and so speaking back to that and telling that little part, oh, I got it. Like, we're good. Remember this, this, and this. It's yeah. so weird, but it really does make a difference. It's so weird. And I think that it's that just that trauma response that we have to learn to manage for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like my knee jerk response might be that little yeah. frozen girl, but I got to take a beat. I got to yeah. take a breath, write it out. Okay. <laughs> let me get back into my adult grown up self. Right. And it sounds That's so simple enough. and so silly, but, um, but it's just something we got to manage, you know? I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just take a moment and, and go back to what you had mentioned earlier, because my mind was a little bit blown and I didn't know what to do with it. When you mentioned autoimmune diseases are higher in survivors, endometriosis and those other types of things, what? Because, okay, that's not actually surprising because I know a lot of survivors who struggle with this, don't really know what to do with it. But um, the fact that it is higher in survivors, what is this? What? Yes, this is real. This is true. So when I was going through those seven years of living inside my house, my body started to attack itself. I started to have all of these physical issues that I didn't know what to do with. And by the grace of the good Lord, I made it to a brilliant surgeon um, who did some surgery on me and when I walked in his office for the first time, I went, I went to a specialist in Atlanta and on that questionnaire for endometriosis, it said, have you ever been sexually abused? And I wrote no, because I was in my early thirties and I didn't oh. think I had been yet. And so yeah. I had my surgeries and he comes into my room, stage four endometriosis, Sarah, you had basically an entire reconstructive pelvic surgery. You've lost a bunch of your ovaries, you know, big parts of your, like massive surgery, right? Stage four, all the things. And he says to me again, Sarah, have you ever been sexually abused? And once again, I go, no, doc, nope, right? And then making wow. that connection. So yeah. endometriosis, people know very little about it. Med yeah. Modern medicine knows right. very little about it. They can't explain how you get it, why you get it, where, how it happens. There's, It's like one of these things where it blows your mind how little I had gone to 15 different doctors before I made it to the specialist. And I only made it to the specialist because of an endometriosis community on Facebook that I was lucky enough to stumble into. But um, wow. the gastroenterologist said it was an OB issue. The OB issue said it was a gastro, right? Like it's so misdiagnosed mm -hmm. on average, it takes 10 years to get an endometriosis diagnosis, a proper one. Um, and it's the body's trauma response. And, and there is scientific research on the connection of endometriosis to child sexual trauma. It's out Is there. Right. The studies have been done. They are linked. 
period. Um, and so wow. when I found that out, it was like, well, duh, when you think about it, I mean, you think about fight or flight, right? That's a chemical biological response to trauma. Mm-hmm. We know about that. Endometriosis and autoimmune disease is the same thing. It's, it's a biological chemical in this, in, in the sense of a, a thyroid Graves disease, which I have, that's a hormonal response to inflammation, trauma, the body. I mean, so the mind body connection is a powerful thing. We know that we've studied it, but what's not being talked about enough, but I'm trying to, and I know other mm-hmm. survivors are trying to the physical, the physical manifestations of childhood trauma. We know the mental ones, Mm-hmm. There are physical ones too. When I talk to my clients and I say, you know, how has this affected you? You know, I go through a laundry list. Do you have um, irritable bowel syndrome? Do you have stomach problems? Do you have chronic migraines? Do you have you had endometriosis? Do mm-hmm. you have any autoimmune? Those are the ones that I see all the time. Um, yeah. My clients and they're oh very important. Yeah. I mean, it is so common for us, but it's like, I guess in all of the years that I have been advocating for survivors, I just haven't seen, you know, anyone talk about, well, yeah, they, we all have these things because it's all linked to the abuse. No one says that. It just seems yeah. to be like, well, yeah, we just all have it. We what just is all happening? Have it. Yeah, I'm like ready like, to get well, on Google like you've never seen right now. We'll talk about like, oh, it's common to have PTSD, anxiety, depression. Those of are course. the repercussions. Yes. yes, But we don't talk about the physical repercussions. Yeah, of, yeah. You know. Well, and when no one's even, no one even understands menopause anyways, because why? Because <laughs> it's for women. Like, why would we know about endometriosis? So there's so many questions I have right now, but my mind is blown by that comment. And I completely believe you. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do. yeah. It's, it's really amazing. My, the doctor I went to is named Dr. Ken Sinervo, S-I-N-E-R-V-O at the center for endometriosis care. In okay. And they have a, a plethora of resources and articles and blog posts and videos all about endometriosis. I highly recommend them. They okay. saved my life. They saved my That's, life. Truly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Goodness. Well, thank you for that information. I just feel like, gosh, once you kind of got on this road of healing, you just became an expert in everything. And now you're an attorney, one of the top law firms, like representing sexual abuse survivors. I couldn't be more grateful for those who decide to do that kind of work because it's so needed to have, especially a survivor representing a survivor. Um, I don't want to keep taking up your time. I feel like I could talk to you literally all day and all week and all month, but tell me about becoming an attorney. Would you be willing to share a little of that journey? Like what, obviously, so I didn't realize this, you became an attorney. You were working in the legal field prior to deciding to represent survivors. So what made you get into that in the first place? What were you doing? And then Talk about that shift when you were like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. 
Yeah. So I became an attorney in my in my early twenties for the same reason. 99% of kids go to law school. You don't know what the hell else to do. (laughs) And you're really smart and you're a high performer. So that makes sense. Okay. Maybe if I'm a lawyer, I'll be important and feel good about myself. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it was that like trying to be something, trying to matter in the world. Um, So I went to law school for no reason. I had no, no goals, (laughs) no you know, whatever. And this I just, isn't what I expected you to think, but it's hilarious. Nothing. And I just kind of pitter pattered around through my career, not loving anything I did, not really caring, um, staying in my house all the time, right? Like it wasn't a great life. And then when I got involved in my own lawsuit um, with, with NASA stuff and USA Gymnastics, I saw a real need, not only for women representing survivors, but survivors representing survivors. And, um, you know, like I said to you earlier in the context of like, our friendship it's like when you know you know you know and you can't someone can love you someone can be a great lawyer but if they don't get it they don't get it um and so and so I saw a real need for that and and thankfully the best law firm in the country hired me Manly Stewart and Finaldi um I I can't say enough about them because I actually got to witness them doing their jobs and Mm -hmm. and really seeing how they worked and what they were able to accomplish and so it's been truly a gift. And my boss, John Manley always says, and I've taken this, you know, doing this work can give real meaning to what happened to you. Um, you know, you can look back and I've gotten to a point where I'm like, oh, I get it now. This Mm -hmm. happened to me because now I can go, I can take it and I can go do this. And, you know, I get calls every single day from potential clients where they're disclosing, you know, what happened or they're talking about it for the first time. And you can see, I can feel where they're at, right? They're Mm -hmm. terrified. It's scary. It feels so big. And I can say, it doesn't have to be scary because I'm going to take this on. I'm going to, what a relief. We're going to make this like kindergarten. I'm going to explain everything. I've got this. This is my fight now. And I say to my clients, it's my job to leave you better than how I found you. The legal process Mm -hmm. should not be traumatizing. It should not retry. It should not leave you worse off. It should leave you better, better off. I can't promise we're going to win because I don't have a magic eight ball, but I can promise that we're the best at what we do. And, um, and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to leave you worse than how I found you. And so that's been a really beautiful full circle moment for me. Um, and, and so, you know, Mm, I love, I love that. Yeah. I love that too. I can remember, I mean, I'm 43 and I literally can remember back when I was 14 and talking with legal advocates of, you know, I just for the first time broke my silence and talking with these people who are supposed to be representing me. They're strangers to me. I'm scared to death because I told and I was also told all these bad things would happen if I told now here I am and think I'm I'm wanting to bring it take it all back I just want to swallow every word I said I'm scared to death what's going to happen and I will never forget the woman that was with me and just the, the calm words and feeling like my story was now placed with someone that was safe that she really believed me and she really wanted the best for me. 
And that just, it, it felt like it took all of this, like, I felt like I was a big balloon just ready to pop. And it just, instead of popping and exploding, it just slowly took all the air out of me. And like, it felt like I could just kind of rest. And that I, what you were saying, I just know that that's, that's gold to a survivor to have someone on your journey, especially at such an important time um, to be able to do that for them. Yep. It's an honor. It's an honor <laughs> to get this work. Well, I'm really grateful for you for that. And I kind of wanted to just end with some of the words that you wrote at the very end of your letter to your younger self. Do you mind if I read them? No, I, it's so funny in true to Sarah Klein fashion. I wrote that like the day before we filmed it. (laughs) So I, and I read it at the the filming and I've never read it or heard it or watched it ever again. So I have no idea what you're going to say. (laughs) Wow. Well, it's the last three sentences and said, you're talking to younger Sarah. You said you will live and lawyer with love. And as she approaches the age, your life took its most difficult turn you will be grateful you found purpose in your suffering. Kids will be safer because you exist. Your kids will be safer because you exist. And that's just so beautiful. You're beautiful, Sarah. And thank you for spending time with us today. You're a rock. And we're just, we just love you. And I, I hope our friendship continues to grow. I can't wait right back at you, girlfriend. I love <laughs> you too. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.